As we turn our attention now particularly to God's word, would you turn in your Bibles to Luke in chapter 1? That's Luke's gospel, the first chapter. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Our God, as we come now before your word, would you make us quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? Would you help us to hear your message to us? And would you bring hope and comfort to all who believe? Guide us now by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Luke's Gospel in chapter 1. We'll start in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word. We're now in a season that we call Advent, which are the weeks leading up to Christmas and in preparation for Christmas. And Advent celebrations are not commanded by the scripture. There's no verse in the Bible that says, thus says the Lord, you shall celebrate Advent. Uh, but we do celebrate it. Uh, it's, it's appropriate for us to celebrate these things because Christmas to us is the time at which we remember the incarnation or the fact that God has come into the world in the flesh. And that's a big deal to us. And so, uh, so we celebrate, and a lot of our celebration comes with, with singing. And, and there's one song that a lot of times we hear around Christmas that's really lovely, but for me at least, gets ruined 
uh, by this section of scripture. And that song is, is Mary, Did You Know? You know, every time I hear that song, you know, it's a question. Mary, did you know? And I can't help but think, you know, yeah. I mean, she, she did. She, she, she knew, like the Bible the Bible says she knew the angel went and told her. And, you know, it's, not, it's a really lovely song. I'm not knocking the song. Uh, and it's there's poetic license. I understand that. She didn't understand everything, nor did really anyone in the scriptures but Jesus alone. Um, but Mary did know, to a great degree, what was happening because God had told her through his messengers, the angels, so during this season of Advent, we here at Big Creek are focusing on the angels because they're the messengers of God. They're the ones sent by God to tell the people something. That's their primary force here. And so we want to hear what the angels say so that we're not left wondering. Uh, last week, if you were with us, if you weren't, you can go back and, and listen to it another time. The message from the angels is that there would be this son, John, whom we call John the Baptist, and, and John would make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And the way he would prepare the people is by calling them to, to repent, that they need to turn from their sin and, and turn to God. And repentance is necessary because... The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so, in order to see the glory of this child, Jesus, we need to lay aside the desire for our own glory. And everybody needs that. All people need that. I need that. You need that. And even, even Mary needs that. She's no exception to this situation. Uh, Mary is not sinless. She is not without sin. Uh, there's a doctrine that sometimes is circulated, particularly in, in Catholic circles, called the Immaculate Conception. It's very complex and detailed. I won't go into all of it, but the idea of this doctrine is that Mary is preserved by God in a way that before her birth, she did not have the effect of original sin. And so in her life, then, she did know actual sins that Mary then never, never sinned. I don't know where this idea came from. Uh, I do know that this thought or idea doesn't appear in this text or anywhere in the Bible. Mary is in need of the grace of God just like anyone else, just like you or I. And in that sense, is not special. But in fairness, if, if, if Catholic doctrine or Catholic teaching gives too much emphasis to Mary, perhaps we as Protestants give too little emphasis to Mary because something very special is occurring here. When the angel appeared to Zechariah last week, you remember the first words that the angel said, the first words out of the mouth of this supernatural being is, 
fear not, or don't be afraid. Something about the angel must have been very scary or startling. And the angel here to Mary says the same thing. Fear not, don't be afraid. But it's not the first word the angel says. Look at the first word to Mary. It's in verse 28. And he, this is Gabriel, came to her and said, here's the first words, greetings. That's nice. Hi. But look, look, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And then just a little bit later, Mary's going, what's going on? Verse 30, then, then the angel says, don't be afraid for the reason why she's not supposed to be afraid is because you have found favor with God. Mary is a favored one, one who has found favor with God. So then the question for us, because this very much matters, what does it mean to find favor with God? Uh, as we look at the idea of favored, it's not the same, at least not in every sense, as the word favorite. That's my favorite in the sense of preference, or you put things in order. Here's my favorite, and then second favorite, and then third favorite. Maybe, maybe you've got a favorite sports team. Don't tell me what it is, because that's how fights start. Uh, you've got a favorite chair in your house, you know, or, or, or if you've got siblings, you know who the favorite is, and it's, it's not you, it's somebody else, you know. Oh, they were the favorite. That's not the idea here with, with favor. The Greek... Sorry, I had to go back to the language for this. I try not to do it too often. But the Greek for the word favored here is the word charis. Let me just take out the, the part just because it'll ruin my voice. Charis, which is most often translated in the Bible as grace. Grace. And we know, because we've been working through this together, that grace really matters. That grace, uh, we've said, is the unmerited favor of God. And we see this all over the scripture, but one example is Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. As we look at what this idea of charis is, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this in verse 8. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born... He, that's Jesus, appeared also to me, Paul. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, by the, by the charis of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul says here that he's not worthy. I mean, Paul's an apostle. He wrote a big chunk of, of the New Testament, but he says here that he's not worthy, but only by, by grace, by charis, was he made a follower of Jesus. And he even says he worked really hard. He put a lot of effort into it. But he says, the reason why I worked hard is because of grace. Grace is the engine that makes the car go, that produces faithfulness in us. Uh, so there, grace, this unmerited favor, is, is, is when we're loved 
even when we're unlovely. Paul says, even though I persecuted God's church. So charis, then, is a huge deal. And it's a huge deal to Paul, so much so that at all of his letters, you can check my work if you want. Uh, I checked it, too, just to make sure. Every single one of the letters he wrote, at the beginning and at the end, he says some form of grace be with you, charis be with you. Now, not every time we use a word do we mean the same thing. So, for example, if I use the word point, I might mean different things. I might mean the end of a pencil. It's a point. I might mean this very rude gesture, at least according to some, pointing at something, indicating something with my finger. Or I might be making a point, which is something I do with my words. Uh, In fact, I... uh, Side note, just because I'm here, it's one of my favorite jokes at home, and Laura just never thinks it's funny that she'll say, good point, and I, you know, point, that's not funny? Uh, It's not, I don't think, well, I think it's funny, Uh, but, you know, it's crossing the meanings of the word uh, 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 point. But we're generally not confused when someone says this word. You can figure it out from the context. You're like, listen, I'm making a point here, and you know what the person means. You can tell from the context uh, without some explanation of what the person means by that word. So now, when we look at the context of Luke, when he talks about the charis, or the, the, the favor here as it's translated, that's upon Mary, the next time that Luke uses this word, it's in reference to Jesus. That Jesus had charis as he was growing up. It's the last words in Luke chapter 2. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor, or charis, with God and with man. So track with me here. Now, Jesus has charis. There's a piece of that that sounds strange. Jesus is experiencing grace. Jesus is is experiencing unmerited favor. That doesn't make sense. I mean, Jesus is the only one that merits favor, that deserves favor and praise. That, That doesn't seem to quite make sense. So Luke must mean something slightly different by this word charis. One last place. Let me help unfold this. John chapter 1. You can turn there. John chapter 1 talks about charis in reference to Jesus. Verse 14, John 1, verse 14. And the word, this is Jesus now, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace, or charis, and truth. Jesus then is experiencing or is full of charis. And it affects us then, verse 16, for from his fullness, from Jesus' fullness, we now have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So here's what uh, John is saying, that Jesus experiences charis and truth, and then out of that we get piles and piles and piles of charis. What does John mean? What does Luke mean by this 
word charis. From the context, here's what I think he means. Charis here is, it means to be regarded with delight. To be regarded with pleasure. To be regarded with with joy. So when I say, for example, uh, I, I often say, Eliza, you're my favorite. Or Eliza, you're favored. By that, I'm not talking about whether or not she merits that attitude. That doesn't matter. I'm not even discussing that. Nor, if we have other children, is, does it mean that I prefer her over the other kids? At least I hope not. But what I mean when I say, Eliza, you are favored, I mean, Eliza, I take great delight in you. That's the start of the angel's message to Mary from God. Greetings, favored one. He's saying, Mary, God has taken delight in you. And Mary's not the only one in the Bible that experiences this. It goes all the way back uh, to Genesis. We won't go there for the sake of time, but in Genesis 6, Noah is referred to as one who had favor with God. Paul had favor with God. And then Christians, it says, experience favor with God. So for Mary, for Noah, for Paul, for the Christian, for you, God delights in you. God has piles and piles and piles of delight over you. Mm. Now, you'll notice in Luke's text, the angel does not tell her why she's favored. I mean, later, Mary says that she sees herself as the servant of God, but that's not labeled as the reason for the favor of God. Uh, The angel just states the reality. God favors or God delights in you just because that's how he is. And that is a game changer. But it also is a little messy. Because look then at what the angel says is the expression or the outcome for the favor, at least in the life of Mary. You see it in the next verse, verse 31. Okay, Mary, you found favor with God. Now, behold, you're going to conceive a child. And, and we all know kind of how this story goes out. You see Mary go, uh, wait a minute. We had a class on this in fifth grade. That's not how this works. How am I going to receive or have a son because I'm a virgin? Or, or literally, I have not known a man. Uh, even though Mary's betrothed, which is a really old way of saying uh, engaged, it's a, it's a certain kind of engagement, a very serious legal engagement that was binding. Even though they were betrothed, they, she was not married yet. And so to follow the law of God, sex was not part of that. Not yet. Not until the marriage. And so Mary goes, how will I have a kid and the angel goes, well, you know, this isn't impossible. Listen, you know your cousin, Elizabeth, who's, uh, how do you say it kindly? She's, well, she's old. And she's barren. You know her. She's going to have a kid, too. 
In fact, she's six months, she's six months pregnant with her husband, Zachariah. But then the angel says, but for you, Mary, even though this will be amazing, it's going to be a different kind of amazing, a different kind of miraculous, because your child will be the product of the work of the Holy Spirit who will overshadow you. Now that word, the, the Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary is, is, is kind of a mysterious language. Uh, I think it's purposefully mysterious because we don't know exactly how this happened, but we do know this is not the typical way a person uh, gets pregnant. There's no, uh, kids in the room, there's no intercourse happening here. This is not one of those old Greek stories where the gods come down from the skies and, and, and lie with human women. That's not this. What we do know is that this child Jesus will be the child of Mary and of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, this, the child will be the son of Mary. It's her womb. It's her biological DNA. So this child is not just, it's not a magic trick where you go, poof, child. It's not coming out of air. It's coming from her. And the child's the son of God. Uh, that if I can say it this way, although it's not scientifically correct, the, the DNA has the DN of this child has the DNA of God. And so this child is holy. The child then is really human and really divine. This is more than just a positive pregnancy test. This child is unique, the son of the most high God. Now, that poses a problem because you can imagine what Mary might be thinking. We've thought of the, you know, talked of these things before. You know, when, when uh, we found out about Eliza for Laura and I, that was an exciting time. We've got a child coming. You know, we're, we're trying to have a child. We're hoping for a child, praying for a child, waiting for a child. And then here's a child's coming. Yay, that's very exciting. I went to the library to check out all the books I could so I could figure out what to do. Um, but that's different for Mary. You know, she's not trying to have a kid. She's, I don't know what she's trying to do. She's just trying to get along uh, fine. She's not looking for a child, at least not now. This is really bad timing for a child to be dropped in your lap. I mean, Mary's young, and she's unmarried. In fact, Luke tells us later in chapter 2 that at the birth of Jesus, she's still just betrothed to Joseph. They are still not yet married. You know, there's a word for kids that are born to unwed parents, and it's not a nice one. You can feel, I hear you up there, little one. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can imagine, so for us again, that's joy. But for Mary, that might feel different. You can, you can imagine she might be thinking, okay, how am I going to tell my mom about this? How am I going to explain this to my neighbors? Oh, how am I going to tell Joseph? We'll talk about that next week. Because we know people will talk. We know that She's going to tell the story about how the Spirit came upon her, but no one's going to believe that. You'll think, oh, that's a likely story to cover up a scandal. 
In fact, we as a reader might even uh, be skeptical of her. We might you know, be inclined to think those things if, if we didn't get to see Jesus grow up and see that he is a, one who is full of holiness and wisdom and, and truth and power and even victory over death and the grave itself. But you can imagine all of this kind of swimming in her head. It doesn't show up on the page, but we can kind of feel it. And she might be thinking, didn't you say I was favored? Is this what the favor of God looks like? Is this what it looks like to be delighted in by God? Say the same of Noah. Noah, I favor you. How about you build an ark while everyone scoffs at you? Or, or Paul, the favor of God's upon you and his life is threatened. And so is this what God's favor looks like? Is this what his delight is? Thank you, but no thank you. And so she might wonder, and even we might wonder ourselves, do I even want your favor Lord, have you ever felt that? We know that on, on some level, in some sense, the Christian life is full of, it does bring joy, peace, love, freedom, delight of God that comes in, in Jesus. And that's wonderful, but it is also so hard. Because when this child, Jesus, grows up, he will call us by the help of God to lay down our love of money. He'll call us to lay down our love of security. He'll call us to lay down our love of being noticed. And instead, this child, Jesus, will call us to take up a love for God a love for our neighbor, a love for the needy and the poor, a love even for our, for our enemies. This child Jesus will call us to follow him even if the world hates us. And at that point, we may think, do I even want your favor, Lord? There's a crossroads there, a fork in the road, and some hard things to consider. But look at what happens by the grace of God, how Mary responds at the end in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, she says, Lord, I, I submit to your will. Lord, I do not understand, and I get that this is going to be hard, but I, I trust you, and I am your servant. Don't you want that? I want that sort of attitude in my heart. Now, Mary then has no idea at this point at least not yet, that the difficult 
trial she is being given by God is actually the thing that she needs most. That she will give birth to the child who saves her. And this actually is an expression of God's favor and delight. Because the message here from the angel is that this child, Jesus, is no ordinary one. Of course, we know this. That this child who's born of an unwed mom will actually be a king. Actually, the king. A king who will reign on a throne forever. And that child will forever change her and change all who come to Jesus by his grace. Paul talks about this. Last place we'll go, Hebrews 4. Let me read just a few verses. As we consider God's grace, Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Now Paul's talking, and we've talked about uh, Jesus as a king. Now he relates him to to the priesthood, Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then, says Paul, we have a, a great high priest, that's Jesus, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. What Paul says here about Jesus is two things. He, he compares both the high and the low of Jesus, that Jesus is simultaneously the great high priest and one who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Christ is both the one who has passed through the heavens and one who has walked upon the earth. He is one who is holy and sinless and yet has been tempted and tried. He's the Son of God, and the son of man, he's from the Holy Spirit and from the girl Mary. And Jesus will sit on an eternal throne, but he will also lie in a makeshift manger. This one Jesus is both high and low at the same time. Now look at the impact of how that affects how we relate to him in the next verse, verse 16. Paul says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This throne of grace, I think, perfectly captures both the majesty and the modesty of Jesus the throne of grace or the throne of charis, the throne of favor, the throne of delight, that when a Christian comes before the throne of charis, we don't cower. Instead, he says, we can come with, with confidence. And, and actually, not just confidence to stand back, but we actually come with, with confidence to draw near to approach the throne, to come right up next to it, just as if a, a child, maybe my own child, comes running up here up to the pulpit and just wants to jump into my arms. And he says, there you will find grace, especially in your time of need. Hmm. 
This, then, is the second message from God through the angels of Christmas. If the first message was prepare the way for Christ in repentance by turning from sin into God, the second message then is that this child king Jesus is coming to reign and he comes because of his favor. So then, do not be afraid, Christian, for in Jesus you have found favor with God. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, we know that your grace and your favor to us is great, unimaginably high and wide. Lord, would you make us your servants? Would you draw us near to your throne of grace revealed in a manger? And would you help us to rejoice in your delight? Thank you for being our God, and we give you all thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.